Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Cryptocurrencies have a terrible reputation that is often richly deserved. Many cryptocurrencies on the market today were literally created as jokes, and others, like Bitcoin, are fueled by massive energy consumption. If Bitcoin were a country, it would be among the top 30 energy users in the world, nestled below Norway and above Argentina in terms of total energy use. But the environmental hazards of Bitcoin and the irresponsible hyping of so-called meme coins by celebrities like Elon Musk belie a broader trend in the ongoing development of cryptocurrency. Recent technological breakthroughs are enabling the creation of entire financial ecosystems where they previously did not exist. This has big implications for the business of global development. Indeed, many of the most innovative blockchain and cryptocurrency projects today are being built in the developing world, sub-Saharan Africa in particular, to address real-world obstacles to economic development and achieving the sustainable development goals. So far, the technological achievements that are enabling this use of blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies are being heralded mostly by an insular community of mathematicians, computer scientists, and game theorists who have built these systems. But as more and more of these systems come online, the broader global development community, including donor governments, the United Nations, NGOs, and philanthropies, will have to confront the implications of these technologies for their work. And that is where my new podcast series and accompanying newsletter on cryptocurrencies and global development comes in. If you are listening to this, chances are you have a keen or even a professional interest in international development and foreign policy. You are probably not terribly familiar with terms like decentralized finance, tokenomics, or even what we mean by blockchain or distributed ledger technology. And that is totally okay. This is pretty new stuff. This newsletter and accompanying podcast series will help you navigate the world of crypto and the opportunities it presents for the broader global development and international affairs community. Today's episode is freely available to all and provides a brief history and introduction to cryptocurrency and blockchain technologies and the implications it holds for global development. Future episodes in this series will be available to premium subscribers. To become a premium subscriber and gain access to the Cryptocurrency and Global Development Newsletter, please visit patreon.com slash global dispatches. You can also follow the links in the show notes of this episode and on globaldispatchespodcast.com. A paid subscription includes access to premium episodes of the podcast in which I interview pioneers in this space. I will introduce you to a Burkina-Bay social entrepreneur who is creating a blockchain platform to securely register land ownership in rural Burkina Faso, where land titles are rare, so farmers can collateralize their property. 
You will also learn from an OECD expert who explains the huge promise and current limitations of using crypto for cheaply sending remittances. You'll hear from a Zimbabwean fintech executive who is leading a social impact crypto project to provide cheap mortgages and rent-to-own opportunities in Mozambique, among many more episodes to come. And in addition to the podcast series, subscribers to the newsletter will also be able to have their questions about crypto and global development answered. This newsletter is intended to be a conduit between you, the global development and international affairs aficionado, and this brave new world of crypto, blockchain, and decentralized finance. You ask the question and your paid subscription to the newsletter and premium podcast series will support the journalism necessary to find the answer. So that is my hard sell. I'm excited about doing journalism around this really emerging topic Again, please visit patreon.com slash global dispatches to become a paid premium member of the podcast and get access to this series. And now on to today's episode. My guest, Gary Golden, is a trained futurist and someone on whom I've come to rely for measured analysis about the opportunities and limitations of blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. We kick off by defining some key terms and briefly discuss the history of blockchain and cryptocurrency. We then have a broader discussion about the implications of cryptocurrency for global development, and this includes a discussion of remittances, access to capital, banking the unbanked, digital identity, secure property records, and even the potential that countries in the developing world in the not-so-distant future use cryptocurrency in the issuance of sovereign bonds. This is an absolutely fascinating conversation, and though many of these developments are largely off the radar of the global development community, the trajectory clearly points to a future in which cryptocurrencies and the blockchain technologies they power may be productively harnessed in the service of sustainable development and probably sooner than we think. As Gary Golden explains, the technology is there. Anyway, here is my conversation with Gary Golden. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The simplest definition of a blockchain is that it is a distributed database. So that that's the definition. And whenever I give that definition, I like to compare it to trying to understand, let's say the internet by defining it in 1993, we may have said, oh, the internet is networked computers. And a person would understand the definition, but not really be able to imagine Google, Facebook, Uber, Airbnb based on that definition. So by definition, a blockchain is a decentralized or a distributed database. The question is, what can't we imagine will come from such a simple definition? So what is the relationship, therefore, between cryptocurrency and blockchain? 
Sure. So a, a blockchain is a decentralized database and cryptocurrencies are digital currencies where transactions are verified uh, and records are maintained on that decentralized database. So in many ways, cryptocurrency and blockchain are coupled together, but it is possible to have a non-cryptocurrency blockchain application. Um, uh, though, though the two really are just kind of, they're wedded together from now and forever forward. Well, let's kind of maybe go back to the history of, mm-hmm. of this technology and, and where, be all, where it all began. I presume, you know, it, it's the story sort of starts at the advent of Bitcoin. Can you kind of take us back to that? Yeah. So there, there were numbers of, of, of attempts to create kind of digital gold and digital currencies through the 80s and 90s. And then um, uh, the kind of the, the, you know, the seminal moment was the release of, of what is referred to as the Bitcoin white paper, 2008. And it described its version of this kind of digital currency that would be secured through this peer-to-peer ledger which would hold the ownership asset records and the transaction records on a peer-to-peer managed network. And that creation of Bitcoin was the beginning of what we would call kind of the modern cryptocurrency uh, movement. It it was the solution that stuck and gained the, the widest support. You know, Bitcoin obviously is the first thing people think about when they think about uh, cryptocurrency. But my understanding is that Bitcoin, compared to other newer cryptocurrencies and to newer iterations of this technology more broadly, has rather limited utility, right? the, The ledger that maintains Bitcoin can be used to record transactions, and those transactions can only really involve sending or receiving Bitcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. But a couple of years ago, you've had the advent of newer technologies, which mm-hmm. can layer applications on top of this ledger that you described, this blockchain. Correct. So, so Bitcoin, Bitcoin really is, it is banking without a bank. So you can you know, send uh, a, a form of value, receive it directly from another person without a third party. And, and that is revolutionary. But the ability to run, as you say, applications, so something for that is a distributed healthcare record or a distributed identity record, that is not something that we would ever really be able to do at scale on Bitcoin. So in recent years, we've seen the emergence of of uh, kind of next generation blockchain cryptocurrency projects like Ethereum and Cardano. And these are uh, platforms and communities that are trying to think a little bit more uh, broadly in terms of what does the world need in terms of decentralization. And, and, and that is really moving not, you know, not just uh, around value of a cryptocurrency, but around things like identity and governance. How do we decentralize those facets of society? So we're, we're really at the very beginning of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Uh, Bitcoin is likely to continue to be the, the dominant gold equivalent, kind of the store of value, but the most exciting and likely effective and impactful platforms are going to go far beyond 
you know, a, a digital gold paradigm. And it is these next generation uh, technologies that allow applications layered on top of the of the blockchain that is commonly referred to as DeFi, decentralized finance. Can you just maybe describe that term briefly? Sure. So DeFi, decentralized finance is, is basically the ability to do all the things that we would typically do through some sort of a bank or a, a financial service provider. So an insurance contract, a loan, collateralizing an asset, um, finding out somebody's risk profile, uh, all those services that we would find in traditional financial institutions can be managed through open protocols and these decentralized networks of people that make up that particular system. So, so DeFi is, is trying to expand into a, a full service offering, not just you know trading coins back and forth, but taking out a mortgage and who's providing you with the, the, the contract and who's providing you with the, uh, the, the funding, where's the liquidity come from? It comes from the network, not the bank. So it is essentially, you know, DeFi shifts us from institutions like banks and it pushes us towards a world where the network itself of individuals becomes the, the, the source of financing. Mm-hmm. And it is in this realm, I think, that to a large degree, uh, these emerging technologies around cryptocurrency and blockchain have mm-hmm. real potential to impact like the business of global development and also mm-hmm. outcomes in, in global yeah. development as well. You know, the people who listen to this podcast, they are not of the crypto community, they are of the global development community. And it's sort of my intention with this conversation to try to bridge the two uh, a little bit. And so I would love to just kind of chat with you through some potential opportunities or scenarios uh, for how cryptocurrency might you know impact global development. To me, at least from what I have gathered, from what I've, I've done a little reporting on this, the lowest hanging fruit seems to be in the uh, transfer of remittances. Uh, as I think many of my listeners will know, you know, remittances are f- orders of magnitude greater than what is given in official development assistance from one country to another. Something like $700 billion are sent in remittances every year from wealthier countries to poorer countries compared to about $160 billion uh, in official development assistance. Uh, yet, the, so much of this money is trapped in high fees associated with sending money across the border to the degree that the sustainable development goals even include targets to reduce uh, transaction costs associated with remittances to under 3% by 2030. One thing uh, that's, I think, just absolutely fascinating about cryptocurrencies, among many other, is how cheap it is to send money across borders. And I'm curious to get your impressions on the potential of cryptocurrencies to reduce transaction costs, but also become like a sort of a meaningful platform for remittances. Yeah. So remittances are they're widely discussed as as, as that great use case. Um, in order to do that, you, you need a few things to, to come into alignment. One is um, the availability and, and the adoption of what are referred to as stable coins. 
So with, with typical cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano's ADA, and a number of others, those, the value of those coins goes up and down. <laughs> it it yeah. will make large movements up and down. Um, and, and really, you know, the value of those, those platforms is really much more as of a liquidity pool than a, than a company, right? So we don't need to worry about the volatility because it's early stages and that's volatile. Stable coins are pegged against either traditional fiat currencies or a, a, a portfolio of other cryptocurrencies or they're algorithm, algorithmically managed to always be the same value. So stable coins uh, are in the early stages of, of kind of its uh, development, um, but they are receiving, I would say, an outweighted uh, amount of attention from regulators because they represent a pragmatic way to do remittances that gives you all the benefits of cryptocurrency, the instant settlement, the assurance that it's going from this person to this person uh, without the volatility of the prices going up and down. And the low now, fees. And the low fees. It's essentially very low. It's like fees. a fraction of a percent compared to, say, yep. like yep. 8% in uh, to, to send remittances to places in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. So in order to do that, we need to address the regulatory barriers in terms of the Know Your Customer, KYC, and the anti-money laundering, the AML uh, processes that are currently uh, followed by you know, the folks that, that handle remittances today. And then you would also need some sort of uh, agreement within that home country that recognizes uh, stable coins will be coming in as an inflow and individuals within that uh, society then have a choice to convert those stable coins into the local national currency, or maybe they use those stable coins to purchase things uh, as they would through any digital currency. So you, you need all sorts of things to align. Um, and, and for me, the, you know, the big thing here is identity and the ability to link identity to these types of payments uh, is going to be, you know, the, the the critical enabling force. Can you can you flesh that out a little bit? So the 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 people that launched Bitcoin and and kind of the cryptocurrency movement tend to have a strong kind of libertarian ideology mm -hmm. uh, that kind of drives their pursuit. Right. Yes. Like, I should say I, I do not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you know, enough, I'm though. you know, I I I I sit on the side and I watch. Right. Yeah. Um, but they 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 are you know they are not interested in empowering governments or empowering banks or empowering mm -hmm. institutions. So uh, privacy and the ability for for someone to do a transaction and not have to link their identity has been paramount. Now that's that's the early wave adopters. When we go into the early mainstream adopters, those are likely to be individuals that value identity, that say, I do want certainty that this money belongs to me and I want to link my identity to it. Or this is the person that sent me the money, or this is the person that I'm sending money to. So it really is just about the transition from early adopter to early mainstream users of cryptocurrencies um, as, as kind of the, the, the milestone to watch. And this sort of leads into like a next sort of set of questions, particularly mm -hmm. when we're talking about the, the developing world, you know, 
there has been this goal among the global development community for as long as I've been covering this stuff since like 2005 to bank the unbanked. Uh, and the potential, it seems to me, of many of this, these technologies to provide some financial identity uh, to people who currently lack it seems profound and potentially like very, you know, very impactful in places where it is hard to get a bank account. Yeah. And, and this, this is the, the other large group that you see within the, the cryptocurrency world outside of that, the kind of libertarian bent are individuals that have a strong social mission orientation. And that this idea of banking the unbanked um, is what drives everything. Now, how do we do that is the big question. And again, I would argue that the, 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 the two things that you need to accomplish this are first connectivity. Individuals need to be able to connect to the internet. They need to be able to connect to digital infrastructure. And in our world today, that is primarily through, you know, Wi-Fi and kind of, you know, fiber into a wireless form factor, um, generally to a phone. So there are now organizations uh, such as World Mobile that are looking to connect the unconnected in order to bring these DeFi and these crypto banking solutions to those populations. That's the first piece. And then the second piece is, um, again, economic identity, that individuals are able to prove who they are and only show aspects of their identity that is needed in order to engage in some sort of financial contract. So I don't, I control my identity. I don't need to reveal everything about my world to you. I am only going to reveal the information that you need in order to trust and move forward in this transaction. And that idea of economic identity is now starting to take hold, right? This idea that a major use case for blockchain and cryptocurrency is around supply chains and being able to provide economic identity to small farmers that can then prove that they own a certain amount of land or they can prove they have certain animals grazing or, or, or you know, crop yielding uh, agricultural practices that they prove and that they can then collateralize. They can take a loan against it. Um, and, and that idea of economic identity baked into supply chains is where I expect the, the, the real momentum to pick up in the years ahead. Well, can you, can you maybe run through a few other examples yeah. of, of that and how that may work in, in the coming years, particularly as it applies to the developing world? Yeah. So one of the ideas that, that you hear, um, again, within this kind of social mission oriented uh, strain of the, the crypto community is this idea of kind of a decentralized Kiva, right? So Kiva is, is a kind of a classic microloan, kind of a peer-to-peer uh, platform where I see somebody wants $200 to you know buy something that they will then produce income from. And I give them $10 and we get a bunch of other people and they give $10, a small amount, and they fund the project. And that loan is then repaid over time. Um, so that model of Kiva works and, and scales to a certain degree. I've had the um, founder of Kiva on this show in the past. Oh, fant- yeah, there fantastic. Go, yes. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So what if we are able to uh, really expand that model 
and to overcome some of the barriers associated with that type of individual to individual giving. And the first one is verification of identity, that I trust that the the picture of the woman that's on the, the profile page of this loan is the person that's going to receive it. Um, and, and that type of decentralization of identity and risk modeling uh, would come from the blockchain world and would help lower that barrier to uh, someone giving. And then blockchain and cryptocurrency, as you said earlier with remittances, it reduces all the friction of the transaction. $10 and know that you know $9.50 made it to the person and neither of us uh, got stuck with fees. So, so how do we decentralize that idea of, of individual to individual giving? And if we do, could we imagine a great transfer of wealth and uh, relationships between individuals across the world? I mean, so beyond like individual to individual giving, like mm-hmm. that micro lending yeah. uh, model, you know, it seems like the the kind of great white whale in, in all of this is unlocking access to capital for small and medium enterprises. These are our companies, corporations, sometimes formal, sometimes informal, that make up most of the economic activity in emerging yeah. economies, particularly in, in sub-Saharan Africa. It's like something like 40, yeah. 50% of the GDP of sub-Saharan Africa comes from small and medium uh, enterprises. Yeah. And you know, I was reading a World Bank report the other day saying that there's something like an unmet need for capital at like over $5 trillion around the world mm-hmm. for SMEs as, as they're known. And the fact of the matter is it's just very hard in many cases for small and medium enterprises to you know get traditional loans. And if they are able to get traditional loans, the fees are, are the interest rates are usually extremely, extremely high. So could you, I mean, foresee a situation or a future in which you know, these enterprises have access to capital through decentralized finance, through these you know, decentralized banking systems that um, cryptocurrency enables. Absolutely. For me, that would be stage two, right? Stage one is that it feels good. It's the, you know, again, the decentralized Kiva model peer to peer, and and that can really change lives. But stage two is large institutional money that wants to find yield, that wants to find growth, can now say, look, we haven't been operating in certain regions of the world because the cost of kind of customer acquisition is so high. We can't verify that this SME, you know, that this person that has a, a, a small business actually owns the land, that they own the equipment, that they that their books are valid. Um, the cost of that acquisition is very high. Um, it will take time, but it is so clear to me that stage two is the decentralization of larger loans, larger financial solutions. So I, I, I would see the SME financing coming, not from individuals, but from larger bank, traditional banks that are seeking growth uh, in these regions. It, this is enabled 
um, because of the verification that the technology provides. Uh, you mentioned um, land titles. Presumably, you know, land titles are something that could be digitized and verified uh, across, you know, blockchain. Yeah, and and th- th- this is this is a current focus of different communities, and particularly in Africa, to to be able to. Um, empower individuals to verify that they own their property, which again allows them to then take out loans. It allows them to, you know, you know, improve that property um, is a major use case and, and focal point right now. So I want to uh, have you before we go discuss barriers to this vision uh, and this mm-hmm. idea that, that we've discussed. But first, to your knowledge, like what's happening in in this space as you describe it, particularly in terms of entities or organizations that are actively trying to mm-hmm. harness this technology for global development. For example, you know, I saw the head of the third largest cryptocurrency by market cap tweeted out that he's traveling through Africa, meeting with various heads of state in, in Burundi and in Kenya and Egypt even. So it seems there are people that are like focused on this. Mm-hmm. Um, can you map that world briefly? Yeah. So, well, big picture, what I think is happening, um, we're, we're still stuck in the first phase where we think that the wealth creation in cryptocurrency is going to come from owning the coins, having the coins go up in value and selling the coins. Speculation. Ver- speculation versus the social wealth that is going to be created in cryptocurrencies will be because cryptocurrencies and DeFi and decentralized identity exist, right? And, and the analog for people that are kind of, you know, what does that mean? Remember the dot-com bubble of the late 1990s. When the internet came out, everyone thought that this internet was so cool, so fascinating, and they thought the way to make money with the internet was buying the stocks, the dot-com stocks. Uh, It turned out 15 years later that the wealth is created because we have things like YouTube that allow us to have our own video publishing platform. We have payment solutions. We have access to uh, delivery uh, networks. So the wealth was created not from the dot-com stocks, but by having the internet itself. And, and we're still stuck in that first stage. People don't see that having decentralized identity and finance is going to generate wealth. We're, we're still stuck on, you know, own the coin, make the money off the coin. That will happen over time. So that's kind of my, my big picture take. Um, where do I see things happening right now at the, at the leading edge? It is around this idea of empowering governments. So, you know, the, 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 the project that you're referring to uh, is working with uh, governments across Africa to not necessarily bring cryptocurrency solutions. Like they're not trying to go in there and say, we're going to bring in a, a digital currency to replace whatever you've got. They're coming in there and they're saying, we're going to bring identity solutions. We're going to bring identity solutions that allow your uh, high school and college students to uh you know, take their classes, get their degrees, have their credentials verified on a blockchain. And then when that person wants to get a job for a company within your country or beyond those boundaries, they can, uh, they can use those verified educational records when they're talking with potential employers and improve their improve likelihood to get that job. And so you're the, referring specifically to a project in Ethiopia that was yeah, recently rolled out. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this is a project between uh, Cardano, which is a, a, a cryptocurrency platform, and the Ministry of Education in Ethiopia. And then the other big one is um, the this idea of, again, working with governments, of issuance of sovereign bonds. So if you go out two to three years, maybe five, if I'm being a little bit optimistic, you can imagine that a nation state will use a blockchain cryptocurrency stablecoin to issue their own bonds. So they want to raise you know, US dollar equivalent, $200 million to build some roads or universities or a healthcare system, rather than going to a traditional, you know, kind of Wall Street, London, Paris-based financial giant to issue those bonds, they can do it themselves. And when they issue those bonds, they can know the identity of who owns those bonds. And they can assure develop people outside the country that these bonds are owned by legitimate individuals and that the transparency and accountability associated with that sovereign debt issuance will exceed what I think exists anywhere else in the world. So like, what's, what's the big prize for me? It's this notion of, of sovereign debt issuance over a blockchain. When that happens, uh, we'll be in a new era. And so what barriers do you see uh, from here to that era uh, occurring? I mean, this is a very deeply unregulated space. There is a lot of, you know, I I think to, to, uh, to a large degree deserved, you know, reputational damage associated Mm -hmm. with Bitcoin and, you know, generally like meme coins and irresponsible Mm. speculation and all that. What are some of the barriers to that widespread adoption that you're, you're referring to? Um. Well, I, th- I think you know the, the 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 biggest barrier is just regulatory uncertainty. So um, we are at a point where the the technology itself is is good enough that uh, these solutions can be rolled out over the next one to three years. There's there's no longer a question of can these blockchain networks scale? Can they handle hundreds of billions of dollars of transactions? Yes, they do. They can. Can they do it without, you know, ever going down and being, you know, hacked? Yes, they can. Um, so it's not a technology barrier. It really is about regulatory certainty, and uh, and that is coming. It's coming from different nation states, and uh, you know, I would expect that the the next two to three years will be an era of the first wave of regulations that allow governments around the world to use blockchain and cryptocurrencies and uh, allow institutions to integrate these systems into their services. So I don't really worry about the individual that's trying to buy and sell crypto. I, I really am more concerned about when will governments and enterprise have the regulatory certainty to, to join in. And I think that's about you know, two to three years away. You know, I am of the development community, not of the crypto community. Mm-hmm. Is there any other sort of technologies on the horizons that you think may be more potentially impactful that we didn't mention or discuss so far? So, so there is this idea of of kind of Web three, Web three dot So, um, uh, Web 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 one was just like a publishing model, right? We we had publishers that created websites and pushed out. It was like a read only web. 
And then web 2.0 was more about interaction. You know, this idea of user generated content, a social network, right? The platforms emerged and they controlled the code. They made the money. And now out of this blockchain crypto world, we're seeing this call for web 3.0. And, you know, it's easy to bat your eye and, 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 and see it as a buzzword, but there is something about web 3.0, which moves us to, to a new way of thinking about ownership. And the shift is from platform platforms owning the content and monetizing that content or the relationships to a world where these protocols, these crypto protocols are open to anybody and allow individuals or governments or companies to create, produce, and profit from the content. And what would be like an example of, of something like that? Well, you're, you're basically I'm having a hard time visualizing. Well, it's, it's, I, I live through yeah, Web yeah. 1.0. I've had a blog yeah. since like 2005. Yeah. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, yeah. all that stuff. Like what, what's yeah. this third iteration? Like, so it's, like? It, it's basically like a, it's like a Facebook without Facebook, right? Where, well, I mean, just take the web to one to two. Like if you were a major media company and, and you had just built this big website and then someone comes along from the Facebook team and they're 28 years old and they're like, we just built this platform and people are going to take your content and we want to bring it into our feed and they're going to like it and share it and comment on it. And you're the big media company. You're thinking, no, they're not like, I'm not going to put, I just spent all this money on my website. I'm not going to give you access to this content so people can like it and share it. That seems ridiculous. Um, so that happened. Right. And now what we're saying is creators, when anyone creates content, they are going to manage the monetization of that content. So, you know, the big mental shift is people aren't just going to you know, manage their social media profile. They're going to be managing their lives as a business in this Web3 era. So they're, they're, they're not going to make, they're not going to get a check from YouTube, right? The check is the money is going to come from the users and the viewers directly. So it cuts out that platform. It's a world where we have media networks that are not controlled by a central company. So it's, you know, the easy, who knows what it's going to look like, but it's, it's essentially kind of a YouTube without YouTube, a Facebook without Facebook. Uh, well, Gary, thank you yeah. so much for your time. You've given me a lot to think about. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, I, I really do see potential for this technology to be impactful in mm -hmm. emerging economies in the developing world for many of the reasons you cite, which is why I wanted to have this conversation. And I really kind of consider this to be like the start of, of a conversation uh, between people of the crypto world and of the global development community to get them to talk uh, and, and to learn from each other a little more and a little more deliberately as well because of the potential use cases that you cited and more that we haven't even sort of yeah. thought of yet. Yeah. Uh, so Can thank I, you. Yeah. Absolutely. Can I throw one more out there just for folks yeah. to go down the rabbit hole? Uh, there's a project called Empower. So E-M-P-O-W-A. And this is not an endorsement as much as it is just a illustration. Um, it is a it is a DeFi property platform. So imagine being able to create new sources of uh, funding and uh, distributed uh, sources of again risk uh, you know risk profiles, et cetera, to allow people to to buy and own their own houses.
So Empower is a DeFi kind of affordable housing effort uh, based right now in Africa. Hmm. And you would imagine something like that could be transported uh, from the developing world to the developed anywhere. world as well, which is, which is really interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, just like, like M-Pesa, you know, you think about that as like mm-hmm. the, the classic example of the developing world innovating due to constraints within, you know, their economies and, and that being sort of transported abroad as well. Yeah. So it's fascinating times. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gary. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Gary Golden. And I hope this encourages you to become a premium subscriber to this new cryptocurrency and global development newsletter and podcast series. If you become a member now, you can unlock access to some new episodes in this series, including my conversation with a social entrepreneur from Burkina Faso who is creating this platform to register land records on the blockchain in order to, among other things, let farmers take out loans against their property. I also have published a conversation with a social impact cryptocurrency platform created by a Zimbabwean fintech entrepreneur seeking to provide affordable housing in Mozambique. And of course, there will be many more episodes to come. I've recorded several that are in the hopper, ready to be released. Please visit patreon.com slash global dispatches to access this series. Thank you. Let me know what you think. See you next time. Bye.